0: You are listening to the Fox Den Sports Podcast.
1: I'd like to welcome everyone to the Coach's Corner edition of the Fox Den Sports Podcast. And along with my youngest son, Gannon, and my good friend, R.C. O'Shea I am Todd Fox, and to get, today we have a very special guest. Nick Megalutis is joining us today. I know Nick played in the uh, NASL with the Houston Hurricanes, played in indoor soccer with the Houston Summit, MISL, major indoor soccer league with the New York Arrows and Las Vegas Americans. He was the former head coach of the Florida Strikers in the, in the USISL, and then as well, three years, an assistant coach with the Miami Fusion of the MLS. So Nick, welcome to the podcast. I want to welcome you.
0: Well, thank you very much, Todd. Really, uh, I think it's a an honor to be asked to be on a podcast, uh, especially to talk about um, the the game, the history of the game, the future of the game. So, um, when I got the call, I was very excited, and yeah. and I want to thank you.
1: No, you're welcome. I know we kind of went back and forth uh, through Facebook messaging a while back, and talking a lot about soccer and uh, and my love for it as well. So. It'll be uh, it, this will be an interesting time, and 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 I know Marcio will uh, will kick it will kick it off here.
2: Hi Nick, uh, hi Todd. Also, Todd, thanks for inviting me. Hey Nick, just a little background. I'm from Brazil. I'm a I'm a huge soccer fan. I've played soccer. I'm still playing. Yesterday, I played a little bit uh, indoor. So I love soccer. Uh, I've played amateur soccer. I did my high school in Florida. My dad transferred me to Florida. So I play a little bit high school here in the U.S. Uh, for the high school and also for Club Boca. We had a good team, a bunch of Latino guys like me, but I'm not as good as you, so <laughs> I couldn't play professionally. But I still love the game. My boys play games, still play a game. I have 13, 10-year-old, play competitive here in Oklahoma. So I've been following them all over tournaments. So, so for me, it's always an honor to speak with someone that play the game, love the game, coach the game. And you know, as a uh, Brazilian, I am a huge fan. So then Todd say, "Hey, we're gonna have a Hall of Famer ball soccer." See, yeah, I'm in. Like, you know, I want to ask I, a bunch of questions.
0: Yep. All you, all you had to do, Massio, is say that you were from Brazil, and I knew you played <laughs> soccer. So that, that was a no brainer. Uh, I, I, you just said you played for Club Boca. Yeah, um, I know a very, very, uh, very good club down, and established club down in in uh, South Florida. You know, I, I. Uh, I eventually settled in South Florida. I was there for thirty years before moving yeah. back up to New York. But um, <clears throat> there was some some great some great soccer down in and a lot of talent and and so um, the fact that uh, you were Brazilian ar- ar- already, uh, you you sent the message that you were a soccer player. So yeah, uh, glad to be and, able to. And just,
2: and just you, and just you guys, just you. I'm I'm here doing the podcast, and on my other screen I'm watching a game because Flamengo, my team, is about to play. So okay. I'm a huge Flamengo fan. Zico, all those guys. So I'm here, like doing don't, like like this. That
0: that's that's in my blood. Yeah. Don't yeah. don't worry about it. We 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 forgive you. Don't worry.
2: <laughs> so uh, Nick, uh, I want to ask you something that it sounds like a cliche, but something that I I always. Ask people that play soccer, especially you that you you were born, grew up in the US, which is more like a football, basketball country. So what is your first memory around soccer? It can be either you playing, watching like when when I say the word soccer, if you go back when you're a little kid, what is the what is what is the feeling or the image that comes to your mind?
0: My my Marcio, my first my first uh, real feeling and understanding about the game was i i would say i was about five years old and uh my dad immigrated from uh greece and um when we moved to new york when he moved to new york uh at that time there was a a heavy heavy uh migration from all over europe and obviously uh you know with the europeans and 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 what they call football, what we call soccer, so popular uh, in in Europe, and and a, a lot of these immigrants brought brought the game to to the United States, and they brought it to a, a lot of the major cities where they where they established themselves. And I, and I can just recall my dad taking me to some of his games, and so from about the age of five up until about. Nine, I would say I was really a, just a I was a spectator, so to speak. Uh, I was I was brought to every one of the the soccer games that my dad was involved with. And then I think the biggest uh, memory for me and the biggest, I think. What I would call probably one of the greatest feelings of my life about the game was um, in 1967, I was probably about ten years old, and my team made it to the state Cup final against another local club here and our state cup game was being played prior to uh, two teams that I'm sure you're very familiar with one and very familiar with with the players and player on that team. The game was played between Santos of Brazil against. Benefica of Portugal and the biggest experience for me was prior to the game we we got to meet Pelé and to this day I have an actual picture I will send it to you guys after the podcast is over Uh, I have a picture uh, that Pelé took with us and and I have a picture of Eusebio as well that one I can't really find but um, that was probably one of the greatest, greatest uh moments of my life. Paley was my idol again. um he was really the greatest player, probably of all times for me. and the fact that I got to watch him, got to meet him, and then ultimately, ten years later, I Played got to against play him. Against, I got to yeah. play against him. Um, in New York, when he was playing with the Cosmos, I got drafted in 1978, so I missed him by a year. But I did get to play against him. Um, um, New York, uh, the New York Cosmos played against a select uh, group of college players from the area, and so that was probably the biggest thing in my life at that time. Was playing against Pele when when uh, I was 20. So. those were probably the two things I would remember the most about my childhood and soccer growing up was um, I had a Santos uh, banner. I see the banners behind Todd of the NASL. I had a Santos banner in my room. I had pictures of Pele. He was truly my idol. Um, And I think it hasn't been till about probably about, you know, I would say about 20 years now. I think Pele was probably still the most popular player on the planet. You could ask even a lot of younger play, uh, uh, participants and, and people still you know, knew about Pele, played about Pele. And, and just recently before he passed away, a very good friend of mine that worked with me in MLS with the Miami Fusion was his agent. And I was able to get Four signed jerseys by Pele wow. two two uh, jerseys were with the Brazilian national team one was with Santos and one was with the New York Cosmos so uh, I have those two of them are for my grandchildren one is for my son and the other one is for my other son so uh, that's where I was with childhood memories that, that's what I really remember the most growing up with was was Pele you can't beat that you just, no, no, you just can't beat that. You just can't beat that.
2: The only thing, the only thing that I'm gonna try to change is after the podcast is over, I'm gonna get your address with Todd, and I'm <laughs> gonna send you a Flamengo jersey with your name, because my job is to amplify the Flamengo nation in the U.S. So that you're gonna have something for Flamengo. But yeah. You know,
0: yeah, yeah. But I, I do remember we had uh, we had one. I think maybe one or two Brazilian players that came to the Fusion. One guy I remember his name was Gaucho. They call him Gaucho, or um, I'm not quite sure. I'd have to go back and look and remember who it was. It was the first year, but um, that you know, to answer your question about my childhood and why what I remember the most, those are pretty much the two things that will always stick in my mind. Um, Meeting him at age ten and then playing against him at age 20. That's a Growing up in New York, I know you and I
1: talked uh, a couple of days ago, you also played, was a baseball growing up as well?
0: Uh, I did play baseball, Todd, and, and uh, I was a, a very good baseball player, uh, so they tell me. Um, <laughs> I, I was an all-city baseball player in New York City. Um, my baseball coach called me foolish for not pursuing a baseball career, telling me that I was nuts, that there was no money in soccer and it was, it was not really a big sport. It was never going to catch on. And, and, you know, I remember as a youth, I actually, the the two fields that I played with at at the baseball field and soccer field were side by side divided by the fence. And there were days I would just jump the fence, run and get out of my baseball uniform, get into my soccer uniform and, and get ready for soccer games. But I did play baseball all the way up until, um, my uh, senior year in high school, um, they did want me to play at, at college where I went. I went to Long Island University. Um, but at that point, I think i really had already established where my love for the game was. It was soccer. And so I, I just decided to spend all my time trying to get better and try, and, and try to get to the next level, which for me, was always my dream. I worked so hard at it. I was passionate about the love for the game, and and I ultimately, for me, my commitment and hard work, um, you know, led me into the place that I've always wanted to be. So.
1: That's great. And then ten years ago, you were inducted into the Hall of Fame at Long Island University, correct?
0: Yes, I was. I was uh, ten years ago. I was inducted to the Hall of Fame at LIU. It was it was really strange because I, I mean a lot of good players came out of LIU. A lot of uh there were at least I would say five or six, maybe seven players during my era and maybe just prior to that that played in the NASL. Tony Picciano played with the Cosmos, Colin Fowles played with uh with the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, uh Seb Gattenhammer played with uh you know, got drafted by the uh, Washington Dips, and so, and there were a lot of really good players. Especially after I left, where, uh, uh, LIU established itself as a, a a powerhouse in NCAA soccer, and I I tried to I I tried to understand why it took so long for me to get inducted, uh, considering you know that I I, I had an established. Career and a background already in in the game at every level. And um, I was kind of gonna give up on on the hope of getting in there. I was a little disappointed, but it, I, I think it was probably like about six months later, I got the phone call from the school, and i was I was really excited. And then two years ago, uh, I got inducted into the uh, Long Island Hall of Fame. Um Queens, Queens, New York, and Long Island were kind of considered um ones because they're technically on the same island. And so um I got I got uh inducted into that Hall of Fame based on my uh, time and spent and the things that I did with the New York Arrows and growing up playing uh, soccer on Long Island as well as in Queens. So I was actually very honored about that, too, and um, I don't know. I don't know if there's any more Hall of Fames that I can get into, but you That's know great. what? Sur- surprises are great, you know? And sure. So um, I'm I'm really uh, thankful that I'm, I'm in a really special area and a special field with a lot of great players, um, you know, at LIU and, and on Long Island as well.
1: And if you can take us through, I know you in 1978 with Houston, you were drafted there and then you played for them kind of take us through a little bit of your, like how that was. Cause I mean, I was a big Tulsa roughnecks fan Um and you were with Houston hurricanes. Like, I guess like what your thoughts were about it and the, the, what the demise at some point, you know, happened to the NASL, if you don't mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's uh, certainly not a problem. I um started, I got drafted. Uh, In 1978, I was a first-round draft pick of the Houston Hurricane. Um, It was coached by Timo Leukowski, who was a former head coach at Hartwood College. He was the coach of the U.S. national uh, youth team, under 19 at the time, and uh, he was also assistant coach with the Dallas Tornado with Al Milla. Uh, I uh, first... Met Timo and I was actually selected to play for the uh U- U19 national team that uh toured Germany. Uh so I that's my first encounter with Timo as in as, as a as the coach there. And then in uh 1977, a year later, um I I was picked for it to play in the with the Olympic team, and I was in a pool of the players. So I was there for two years and and ultimately whatever happened we never made it because of the boycott in in um in moscow um with uh coach i mean uh president carter boycotted the game we boycotted the right. games right. so that was actually a big letdown given the fact that it was the first time the u.s had qualified in a long time i i, I um and so um i got drafted i played my first season um it was an incredible first season. I I uh, started as a as a rookie. I started about 20, I want to say like 20, I don't know exact numbers, but I was like 27 games out of the 32. My first game that I ever played against was against one of the greatest players ever to play this game, George Bass. Oh, yeah. um, not not played against him, Mark 10. So when I say play against, I mean I played against him. It was uh, a great honor um i got to play against them like three more times um in in my uh, in my career and then i missed out on like rookie of the year by a couple votes from uh with Gary Etherington who was with the cosmos um so it was a really exciting year for me a great great first year and then the uh, MISL popped up and they, uh, the Houston Summit, who are the owners of the MISL franchise, uh, it happened so fast that I really think that they didn't have much time to really do things and put teams together. And so they just – they made a deal with the Houston Hurricane ASL just to uh, loan the players out to the MISL team for the season and um, – we had an incredible year that year. We wound up in first place in the regular season. We're the only team to beat the visiting Moscow Spartak team that came from Russia. Um, they they kind of killed everybody, and, and we actually beat them 7-5. Um, so the first year there was very exciting. The second year uh, with the hurricane was probably the most exciting year because we went from probably last place, The first year to first place in 79 and um, we wound up with the best home record. We were undefeated at home. uh, The only team to be undefeated at home. And ironically, we played the Philadelphia Fury for the for the playoffs. There was a team that hadn't won one game on the road and they wound up upsetting us, beating us at home. Wow. And so uh, but no we finished uh, with the second best record uh, behind the Cosmos um, that year and went indoor again right after the NASL season. Um, and then. Um, we did uh, very well, we went in the final, we went to the finals that year and lost to the New York Arrows uh, in the in the finals. And then the following year, we played one more outdoor season with the Hurricane. Uh, by now, the the New York team, the Houston Summit team moved to Baltimore. So they were going to play that the 80 81 season in Baltimore in 80, 80 I believe. Yeah, 80 81. And um, so I played my outdoor season with the uh, NASL, with the Houston Hurricane, and the team folded right after that. And so um I don't know if you want to go into why the, the team folded and the demise or of of the league itself.
1: Uh feel free, whatever I, you think. Yeah.
0: I, I uh, and and well I'll just go through my, my my career real quick, real quick. And then so for the next four years, um I went to play with the New York Arrows and the MISL indoors. Um so we wound up in winning the uh, MISL championship the first two years that I was there. So I actually technically made it to the finals three years in a row, one with Houston, two with, with the uh, arrows and one, two MISL championships. Uh, And then I played two more years in New York and then that team folded and teams were really starting to fold now everywhere. Uh, NASL was just about, Done. I think they had come into the MISL to play uh, a season or two, um, but then my last season, um, I uh, got an offer to go out to Las Vegas to play for the Americans. That that team folded in just one year, and I I'm not sure whatever the reason was that it folded so fast. But um, I wound up getting a, a career-ending injury. And that uh, kind of put an end to my career. So I, I stopped playing in 1975. I think by today's standards, it it I re- I retired kind of early. Um but nevertheless it was a it was a, a great career, soccer career. Um I I played against some of the greatest players in the world. I played against Beckenbauer, I played against Cruyff, I played against uh, Georgie Best, I played against Gerd Mueller. I mean, I played against um, and people didn't really realize the impact that all these foreign players had when they came into the NASL. I remember the Dutch team that had just lost the final in Argentina to the Argentinians. I think like 11 of those Dutch players came immediately to play in the NASL right after. Um, so that that was significant. That, would, that, that really kind of helped the league. Um, so that was the end of my career. And so going back to, you know, why I think the NASL first, I think I think the demise of the league was, you know, I always say like the Cosmos did so much for the game, but I also think that they kind of hurt the game a little bit. The fact that, I mean, their team was was just stacked with just incredible superstars and, And their budgets were like 15 times the the budgets of any normal NASL team. And, you know, when we were flying coach and barely getting on a plane, you know, these guys were flying with time with Warner communication and their private jets. And and they were making such a big name around the world, anywhere that they went and anywhere that they played. They just drew 70s and 80,000 people here in the States, abroad, everywhere that they went. Um, So I think. Trying to compete against the Cosmos um, became a, a, a it became a difficult thing for a lot of clubs. And budget wise, we just were not in the same ballpark as them. I think the NASL. Expanded way too fast, you know, I mean, that, that one year in 1978, they I think they had six expansion teams in one season. Um, the American the American market was already kind of diluted and, you um, There weren't, uh, if you think about back in the day, you know, there were only two Americans required to be on a field at the time. Mm -hmm. And 99.6% of the time, I would say, those two players were either a goalkeeper or a defender. Hence I went from a midfield position playing defender because there were like seven guys competing for one job back there. Um, Because also green cards were actually considered Americans. And back in the day, you could get a green card, like apply for it today and get it faster than a credit card the next day, you know? So that's what a a lot of these clubs were doing. They were bringing a lot of foreign players in and and getting green cards for them. And, and uh, they were, they were making exceptions and stuff like that. So it was really hard for Americans to play. Um, But I think the fact that they, they, they just, it it was just too coincidental that after the three-year period that so many teams started to fold at, at that particular time. So I think expansion was probably one of the biggest reasons, um, that the league failed. I I think if you look at the way MLS is approaching it and the way they're going about it is way different. Um, you know, they're very careful with their expansion. Um, if you look at the difference between when the Miami fusion were awarded a franchise in 97 and the way they award franchises now, it's like night and day. I mean, you know, now you have to have X amount of season tickets sold. You have to have a stadium. You have to have already an okay from whoever that the stadium is going to be built two years after the team has announced and da 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 da. da, da. So everything has kind of changed, but, you know, a, a lot of people look at MLS and and a lot of them still don't consider it, you know, a, a major stadium, a major league. Um, but I, I think they're at least on the right path, and and we're getting we're getting good numbers with MLS. Uh, they they all own their own stadiums now, so they're able to generate their own revenue and and make money. Um, and the uh, salaries have gone up. And attendance has gone up. Uh, when I played, even back when the when the fusion were playing, and was paying to play on ESPN and ABC. And that's no longer happening anymore now. We, you know they're generating television revenue, and they're making money. And so I think there's a solid foundation. My son is an agent. He represents about twenty five to thirty players around the world. And my son told me that probably one of the most financially stable leagues in this in the world is one of them is MLS. And so that's a a really good sign, a really healthy sign that that the sport is definitely, definitely here to stay. It's just a matter of how much better we become as a nation, as a soccer country um, that will determine even more. In the future.
2: Nick, I have a I have a question for you on that. And I kind of I have more like a, a foreigner perspective on the soccer in the US. I came here as a teenager. I went back to Brazil and then I moved back now with my family's been seven years. So I remember was when I was a teenager in Florida, was a couple of years before the 94 World Cup. So you know, growing up in Brazil, I always heard about the Cosmos and everything that we heard from you know the american soccer was cosmos i mean because that that was pele and all the famous players and then i remember not you know stopping hearing about soccer in the u.s and then i remember when i came here was 14 to 15 years old my freshman year in high school and they go, yeah you're gonna make the varsity team because you're from brazil but in brazil the competition was very tough like well i don't know in brazil i have to you know really buzz to kind of a uh, you know make, make, sure. make, make the team and I remember that my team was exactly the way you'd describe it. all the players were foreigner players and only the Americans I had like a big goalie and two big Defenders everybody else were Brazil Colombia Mexico Argentina Spain Germany there's a lot of uh international Diversity. students in my yeah in my, in my high school and then you know I, I I noticed the hype of the soccer, and I stay here. I actually went to two World, World Cup games in '94. Then I went back to Brazil. and never heard about you know uh, American soccer. And then when I moved with my family and my kids are playing, right? One of the one of the things that I that I feel it's more like uh it's not a, it's it's not a question. It's just something that I observe, and maybe my ob- observation is not precise, but one thing that I notice, now being in America, I'll become a citizen two two months from, from Congratulations. now. Congratulations. Thank you. When I walk around, every I walk around, there's a hoop, there's a basketball hoop. Everywhere I go to a park, there's a hoop. Everywhere that I go into a community, there's people like throwing it into the ball. I don't see what I see in Brazil growing up, two flip-flops is the goal, barefoot, and just play. So one of the reasons that I think, and this I think, but I am not, don't have your ex- expertise and experience here, is one of the reasons why I think the soccer is not the thing and won't be a thing for a long time, in my opinion, as much as the MLS is stable, I think the MLS will be, I, and I told Fox, I, I told uh, Todd this uh, two weeks ago, the MLS will be the biggest league 10 years from now. I have zero, zero doubts about it. When the Americans put their mindset, we're going to be big, and now Messi coming, and then Neymar will come. MLS will be huge. I have zero zero doubts about that. But my question is, when I'm going to see the American win a World Cup? That's, you know what I mean? Like, that's my question. Because I don't see soccer as a popular sport. Like, I have to pay for my kids to play, right? And, you know, it, it, it is about 100, 150 $200 a month for each kid. Then I have to travel. You know, May... Like every weekend I was out spending like three night yeah. hotels, meals like you know, two three thousand dollars a month just for so that's not a thing in Brazil. Like we play because you're selected to to play in a certain and then you know all the expenses are are free. So you know what I mean? Like that's the way I think it's missing in the US. When I go to a park and when I see kids playing pickup games that's when i'm gonna realize okay now 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 we have a chance to be to be uh you know a world cup winner i don't know if you agree with, on that but i just want your opinion
0: i i would certainly uh definitely like to follow up on that um i i think you know for the most part i think you've hit it on the head with with uh, a lot of things that you've mentioned um the one thing that for sure for sure is missing in in our country is the culture of the game. Um, we don't have the same culture as the rest of the world does. So it's av- it's obviously very significant and it's going to make a... It, that certainly is what separates some of the greatest countries in the world in the game of soccer, football to the soccer in this country. When I grew up, there were no... There was no leagues that you paid to play. I played in the streets. I played in the backyards. I played in the alleys. I played the way all the cultures are playing around the world. This is why I think my passion for the game, and I love the game more because there were no rules. There was no organization. I think the country and soccer in general is very organized in this country, and sometimes that's not good. You know, we go to a field and everybody's like, where are the goals? Well, we don't need goals. We just need something to make a goal. Exactly. You know?
2: exactly. Two, cans,
0: two cans, two slippers, two whatever. You know, so that the, the, the passion, that in itself is really a main ingredient of why I think, will we ever get there? Listen, I've been hearing it. They say. Every ten years, they go ten years from now, ten years from now, ten years from now. Well, I've been hearing that for fifty years now. <laughs> so, so you know what? You're telling me ten years from now that will be sixty. So, I'm 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 not sure I'm not sure that this country, the way it is set up, the and and I can't say because it's a massive country and it's a huge country and it, there's so many. It's too big and it's too spread out and it's too hard to control. You know, Brazil is a big country too, land-wise. It's a big country, uh, population. It's a big country. Somehow, it works for them. I think once, what once we get out of the game being a what they typically typically call a suburban suburban game, a game where you have to pay to play. Um, I think once we get away from that. I think you'll start to see it. You're starting to see a lot more black players involved in the game, which means a lot of them that come from inner city areas um, that have been exposed to soccer. And remember, they're competing with basketball, football, and baseball. Uh, Somehow they're starting to take notice and get more involved in the game of soccer. I think that's that's a crucial thing for American soccer. We got to get into the inner city areas. We got to get into where all these kids have that passion and love for the game where there's so much talent, you know? And again, because our country is so big, um, sometimes that's hard to do. But at the end of the day, I mean, we really have to start getting away from uh, all this pay for play. And we have to stop getting uh, into away from all these leagues that are are, are forming Everywhere you go, there's the ECNL league, there's the USYSA, there's the EVP, there's the this, there's the that. There's so many leagues, and everybody there, nobody fights really for what the game is all about. It's about the development of the game. It's not about how much money we can make from this game. Exactly. Uh, so, exactly. so yeah. To 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 maybe to elaborate a little bit more on, I, I think you're you're a hundred percent right. Uh, I think MLS can do whatever they want to do, but still at the end of the day, we can't count on Messi's and we can't count on Neymar's. It's great for attendance and it's just a bandaid solution for me. It's just a bandaid solution. It's something that helps it for, you know, when they brought Beckham in, he brought a big name. He sold some tickets. He did this and this and this, but at the end of the game, we're still where we're at as far as development of players, um, yeah, we have gotten a lot better since since I started playing, since uh, since the MLS days when I was coaching. Everyone's gotten better. The league's gotten better. The players have gotten better. You know, the fact that we have a lot of players now playing overseas uh, in Europe and, and and places like that certainly is going to help us. But we can't count on the very few. We can't count on the the fifteen yes. players that are playing overseas you know what, we really need to start developing and bringing in the homegrown talent from here in this country. Because what's happening now is people have gotten smart as well. They're like, listen, the money that I spend here to send a kid to one of these clubs, I'd rather go and take my kid to Europe and I'd rather him play in a European system and at least be identified, be in front of soccer people Soccer knowledgeable people, people where I think I have that, that I think my son has a better chance of being seen. And at the end of the day, if I'm going to invest all this time and money, I might as well do it in an area where I think I, now, if you look at all these players, you know, Polisic and all these, those players that left and went to, to Europe and, and they, they got established. They made a name for themselves there. So I think at the end, uh, Master, I think at the end, until our kids are playing in the streets, in the backyards, like you said, you want to drive around every park. And and I know you go to Boca, and if it's not an organized game, you're not going to see
2: exactly kids you don't. playing in the park. So Nick,
0: so that I think he- is the most important thing. This is how, this is what is made. All these countries so famous for is all these kids that saw soccer as their way to get out of poverty, a way to get out and make something very beneficial for them and their families. And until we see that, I I, I just think it's going to take a long, longer, longer time for the U.S. to win a World Cup. I mean, we've I, I we, we always get to a certain point right around to a certain point, but we can never get to the next level. and and 10 I know 2006 I think was the best World Cup you know the U.S with the handball the German you know if they won they would have made the quarterfinals I mean and 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 that was with a pretty good stacked American team and we were happy to make the quarterfinals I I think um you know our expectations have to be better we we need yeah. better and and so
2: Winnie just just to give a like a little example. Yesterday, I had my boys in the house, nothing to do, summertime, too hot. Said, boys, call your friends, let's do a pickup game. Hold on, but it's not a competition. Do whatever. No, 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 just call your friends and let's play. Let's go outside, I know it's too hot. I can rent like an indoor court or or a uh, futsal. We ended up playing futsal, which I love futsal, by the way, it's another. So my kids were kind of a, dad, how do I do that? Pick up your phone. Call your friend. Say, "Hey, you want to play? My dad's got a you know, I I can give them a ride." But and then I was in the middle of a court yesterday afternoon with fifteen kids, different ages, because I have a thirteen and a, and a ten. I said, "Guys, I'm gonna mix everybody. I don't care sizes." The kids play for one hour and a half, and some uh, some other parents went there. Let's see. That was the most fun soccer they ever played. I said, yeah, because then we had fun. No positions. There's no, nobody care what the, the the score was. We're just playing for one an hour and a half. And I said, Dad, can we do it again? Yeah, but you got to talk to your friends. Like, yeah. it, 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 it's not organized. I'm not going to give you a, a uniform. And then they say, hey, Dad, how do we identify who is playing for what? In my time, with shirts and without shirts. Take your shirt off. It's with shirts against without shirts. That's it. That's the game.
0: So yeah. you
2: know, I'm just making a point yeah, that even, yeah. even the suburb kids like could not figure out how to get them to a pickup game.
0: Yep, you're you're absolutely right. And I think what would happen is if you if you started to make it a continuous thing, you would see that the the I think the involvement would become more and more more people would hear about it, more people start talking about it, and you know, so that's why it's important to, to to try. Somebody's got to really, like you say, somebody's got to start it, you know, because it's not going to happen on its own. Now, maybe look, even in New York City, where there's no room and you're more likely to see more pickup games in a big city. If you're in rural areas and suburban areas where, you know, the, your closest neighbor is, you know, soccer player neighbor is 20 miles away you know it's hard to do stuff like that and the only way you're going to do that stuff is if somebody's starts starts to take the initiative to make the phone calls let's get it done you know let's get it done i think that's the most important thing but but you're 100 percent right so that that's the way it has to be done
1: hey nick i wanted to ask a, a question more like game related because you have a perspective as a player and a coach. So I was wondering from your eyes, what makes a good, like a leader, whether it's on or off the pitch, what makes a good leader?
0: To me, what makes a great leader is first the fact that, um, you have the respect, you have the respect of your fellow teammates. And I think respect comes with obviously giving, giving respect and showing respect, um, Somebody that that comes in here, and I I, I want to say uh, I remember there were a, a lot of players that came from abroad to play in the United States, and um, you know I I coached Carlos Valderrama for three years. I'm not sure I coached him. I kind of told him what I think, but at the end of the day, um, I just I looked at at Carlos and and I felt. Although he was the captain and this and this and the thing, I really didn't see him as a leader. I think uh, he really never really engaged and really supported uh, the American players. Um, you know, I, I I looked at a guy like a, uh, the Italian guy that came to the Metro Stars. I think it was Donadoni. Um, players like Donadoni that came in. They were players. They were leaders. They were, they were people that, you know what, wanted to help. They were pe- people that did whatever they could to help the game. Same thing. You know, if, if, if they're still playing the game, you know, you, you, you want to stick out. You want to be the person that people look at, they go to for anything, any advice, anything on the field that would help them, it would help the team be better at what they do. Um, so they're, 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 uh, a leader, there are special qualities that I think you have to have in order to be a leader. Um, and and not everybody has them. Not yeah. everybody has them, you know. People think a leader could be a captain, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that th- that's the actually the go-to guy and the person that you actually want leading. Uh, most of the time, captains are generally – players, you know, of coaches choices that are probably the better players, the best players. But um, I mean, I think every team, believe it or not, has a leader. And I think it's the, the, the other players, they have to I be able to identify that they have to be able to look at it and go, does this guy have all the characteristics to be the leader? Does you know, is he is he the guy that I definitely want leading this team? So I think it's it's the, the the character and the background and the upbringing and all those things of of a player are probably crucial in determining what kind of leader they'll be. Yeah,
1: that's all. Nick, i had. oh, go ahead. Sorry, that's that's all I had. Okay, we we really appreciate you taking some time I know you're you're busy but just hearing your perspectives from a former uh you know former professional player uh coach all that I just I think it was great and um it, it it's just fun it's fun to get me get to know you a little bit better hopefully we can uh you know text back and forth call each other once all, what do we need yeah it's,
0: absolutely um uh, you know if you if you need some um if you need some information advice, or anything, as far as, um, I'm still very network in yeah. the network. And, yeah. um, uh, I still, uh, as a matter of fact, I told you last week, uh, actually the week before I went to a cosmos reunion yeah. Yeah. and met a, a lot of, uh, the ex cosmos players. And, um, a lot of them were, uh, Jersey New York guys that I yeah. grew up with playing against or became good friends with through the game. Um, so and and uh, I'm, I'm, I mean I think I've established myself around the country mm-hmm. that I'm, I I know a lot of people I know a lot of uh, college people a lot of pro people a lot of ex pro people um, again uh, so you know if you, if there's anybody you're interested in maybe doing uh, a segment on or or um, you'd like to speak to or get to. Uh, get in touch with uh, I'd be more than happy to certainly pave the way for you there and and um, and and I, and I think this was uh, I think this was great thank you very much for the opportunity I, I if I didn't have to go I have I, I'm actually coaching now you uh, the W League girls the, you know the new W League that they formed with the USL so I'm actually an assistant coach with uh, the Manhattan um, soccer club a team of W women, and um, so I'm actually on my way. I have, I have a practice, believe it or not. It's six or, six o'clock, but it's okay because it's going to take me two hours to get there with New York traffic. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I wish I could, uh, and and I would love to. Um, you know, we don't have to do this on a podcast. We can uh, always talk one on one with you, Marcio, whoever. Uh, talk more about the game and. Um, I know that in an, an hour, I cannot sure. totally describe what's happened in my life sure. or the, or the sport itself. And I know one of the questions again, that I think you guys wanted to ask or something is do, you know, do I consider the game, uh, is it called soccer or is it called football? Yes. That was a question. <laughs> uh, I saw that was one of your questions. Say it. Uh, say it. Football. <laughs> football. Football. And, um, <laughs> I I honestly have to say uh that the soccer part of the of the name is in my culture and it's in my upbringing and and you know I I I know uh that the real game of football is played with your feet and and the real f- football is you know the football that's played around the world um growing up for me you know, uh, everything was identified as soccer, 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 soccer. Um, so usually, you know, whenever I'm talking about the game and everything, I kind of protect myself and, and I, and I kind of slash it and I say soccer, football, so that nobody jumps all over me and tells me that I, uh, it's, it's football and not soccer. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I would have to say, I just, it's the way I grew up. It's the way you grew up and you know, it as football and, And I know it as soccer, uh, again, because it's the culture and we already have a football in this country. And instead of confusing the people that are already unsure about the game and, and have a, have a, a problem identifying, you know, with the game that we try to make it as easy as possible for them to identify the sport, the way, the way it is in this country, it's soccer and, um, you know, the purist will tell you, yeah, there's no such thing as soccer. It's not, it's not even, I don't know where you get the word soccer from, you know, it's, it's football, but, um, you know, that's, that's really my outlook on it. The way I, I, I saw it growing up. And, um, at the end of the day, you know what, Marcio, to me, football, soccer, it doesn't matter. I love doesn't it. Matter. Way. I love it. It's football. I love it as soccer. And, it 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 doesn't diminish the time or or, or take away the time I that I put into the game, or I I still love it, whether it's football or soccer, and I'll love it, and and put everything into it as long as I can, and um, you know what? If if people think I'm wrong, so be it. No, you know no, what I'm saying. Not. I'm not going you I'm not losing no. any sleep over it. Let's put it that <laughs> way.
2: Uh, no, 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 you're not. I think I think you put it perfectly. I mean, it doesn't matter how we call. What what matters is your passion for the game. I mean, right. I came here as a teenager. It was soccer. I mean, it really doesn't matter how people call it. It's just a game that I love. It's the rounded ball, and I can kick and play with my friends. And that, I mean, you, you can call it badminton. I'm I'm gonna still love it. So you know, I'm I'm I am I am with I you. Did, on that. I did I yeah. did
0: forgot to mention I did play against another famous uh, Brazilian. And uh, I, I always uh, uh, I looked at him as one of probably an un, one of a, an underrated player. Uh, was Marinho? And, Marinho. Um, yeah, I think he was a very underrated player, only given the fact that at the time when he was playing, there was a million other Brazilian stars and another million Brazilian a, great players yeah. at that time, and uh, but. Uh, again, it was always, always just a, a, a thrill and an honor to play against uh, the Brazilians. You know, they were they were great, great, great players and great ambassadors to the game. And and you know, we we lost a great ambassador, uh, but he did leave he did leave a legacy, and he li- he left something that uh, for generations and generations to to always memorialize and to always think back that this guy was one of the main reasons for the success of the game around the world. And, um, you know, and then we have the the, the new stars coming up and and hopefully they will leave somewhat of an impact and the same type of impact that, that Pele did, uh, before he passed he, away. He, so.
2: he's, he was so important that yeah. I don't know if you know this, but if you Google that that's going to be the answer, you know, what's the f- most famous sport Jersey in the world? the Brazilian jersey, number 10. Yeah. If you wear that, everywhere in the world, people say, okay, that's Pelé, that's the
0: Brazilian soccer. My grandchildren, that, will, be wear, my grandchildren will be wearing that too.
2: So that—that so that is, I mean, there's no Michael Jordan, there's no Tiger Woods, there's no any other guy in the world that was able to pull what Pelé did, is to internalize the Brazilian jersey, number 10. Anywhere in the world, you wear that, China, Japan, Africa, Europe, here, people were recognized. And that's how important he was. So as a Brazilian, I always say that it was not the soccer that lost the biggest ambassador. Brazil well, lost. You know its what?
0: To answer, to answer the question about how to identify uh, or what do I consider a leader? That man was a leader. And what do we talk about? His his character, his leadership qualities, uh, his love and passion for his teammates and for everyone. That's why I think he will always be the greatest player of all times, you know, because (laughs) I, yeah, yeah. The other guys are great too. Messi's and Ronaldo's and, and, and by the way, there's two other Brazilians that I think are, are very high. Three of them that are very high up on that totem pole, you know, Ronaldinho and Ronaldo and, and some of these other players, you know, and, and, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I think, there will never be another Pele. There will only be one Pele. And to me, you know, as I idolized him as a young, as a young child and a young kid. And to this day, I still idolized him. And that 65, 60 years later, I mean, you know, that that's saying something. That's a leader. That was a person that for sure, for sure you characterize as a leader and Um, again, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that any of the players that are in that category now ever came close, came close to fitting into his, into his mold. I don't think so, but now you guys got to start winning a world cup. Yes. (laughs) Okay. It's, it's, it's been a long time with Brazil and I love Brazilian soccer. I love watching Brazilian soccer. That's um,
2: another Dick. That's another whole podcast. Why Brazil hasn't winning in 24 <laughs> years? I'm going to be very brief for you. I'm gonna actually,
0: actually, I'll ask the questions and you can answer. There you that. go. <laughs> Name
2: more. Until we have this guy in our in our team, we're not going to win anything. The moment that this guy retired, then we're going to start winning again.
1: There we go. He
2: has all the talent in the world, but what the thing. character and the uh, leadership and the selfishness. That I mean he made in three World Cups, he made the coaches be a hostage of him and play for him. And we never did that. So yeah. that 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 we are losing our, our essence. The moment that yeah. this guy re- retires, then Brazil has a shot. And I'm 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 hoping so bad that he's not gonna play the next World Cup because then we have a chance, a huge chance. Because with the next generation that's coming, they don't have to be, you know. Uh, influenced by him, we have a we have a shot. I'm not saying that we're going to go, but we sure. have a shot. All
0: right.
1: Well, Nick, we want to tell you thank you again. I think I speak for both Marcio and my son, Gannon. Uh, it's a privilege and an honor to have you on. You. And we look forward to hearing from you again. So thank you very much. Appreciate that.
0: Anytime. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Todd, Marcio, and everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Take thank care of you. yourself. Thank you. God bless you. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: I appreciate everybody for listening today and for Marcio and my son, Gannon, my, I'm Todd Fox. And again, this was the coach's corner edition of the Fox in sports podcast. And we'll holler at you again next time. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the Fox Den Sports Podcast. Find us on Facebook at Fox Den Sports. That's Fox with two X's. Drop us an email at Sports at yahoo.com. And be sure to share this podcast with other sports fans in your life. This has been Fox Den Sports.